Dispensationalism. Let's answer what is it. Let's take their most important passage of the New Testament and show that it denies what they teach from it and it teaches what we believe. What is dispensationalism? You've probably heard the word, except maybe our children, but let's know what it means. Dispensationalists maintain that God has dealt in different ways with men at different times through the 6,000 year history of the world. These different times are called dispensations, thus dispensationalism. We agree with the general concept of God dealing differently with men at different times, but the Bible teaches more like three, not the seven that they come up with. The seven that Darby and Schofield and Bob Jones University and other dispensational strongholds teach are these. Innocence, they call it the period or the dispensation of innocence, which was before Adam's sin, when man was innocent. Conscience, which is what happened after Adam sinned. Government, the time of God ruling over men at the flood and the Tower of Babel. The time of promise, when God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The law, which was given to Moses on Mount Sinai and then he to Israel. Grace, that came by Jesus Christ and salvation by grace through faith. And then their millennium, that comes next after the period of the gospel and grace is wrapped up. Now I'm not going to disparage or ridicule them very much here, but I want to point out that they vary greatly because whenever you have a man-made system, then men are prone to modify it, and so you end up with all kinds of hybrids and mutations of this basic system that John Darby of the Plymouth Brethren and C.I. Schofield taught. Some, like Schofield, saw different ways of salvation under some of these dispensations. Some of them, many of them, believe that in the millennium, with a temple, a third temple, rebuilt in Jerusalem, an altar will be built and animal sacrifices will be restored. Unbelievable heresy. But it comes out of dispensationalism and their obsession with the Jews and the covenants that God made with the Jews. What are our three? Well, let's look at the Bible. Romans chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So there's two dispensations in God's opinion that there was a period of time in which things were dealt with one way from Adam to Moses. Let's look at Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. So if we look at those two passages of Scripture we see that God saw a dispensation or a period of time or a way of dealing with men from Adam to Moses. We call that typically the patriarchal age from Adam to Moses. Then we saw from Moses to John the Baptist was the law. The law and the prophets were until John. Now I want you to, this is a little side point, when you're reading the New Testament 
and you are trying to pinpoint down the end of the law and the beginning of the gospel, don't pin it down any more narrowly than 40 years. Because for 40 years, the two covenants ran side by side. John the Baptist initiated the kingdom of heaven and preaching the gospel of repentance and the baptism that went with it. But the law and the prophets didn't fully end until Jesus destroyed the temple at Jerusalem, its altar, its priesthood, and everything that went with it. For 40 years, the two covenants ran side by side so that Paul preached the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And yet when he visited Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21, he took a vow out of the law of Moses on him to please the Jews to know that he hadn't repudiated all the commandments that God had given the people of Israel. Are you, are you with me on that? Yes. That's all I'm going to say on it. It's That's an important distinction to remember when you're looking at the timing of some of these things. Then there's the kingdom of Christ, which is from John the Baptist until the final day of judgment. Luke 16, 16 is a wonderful verse. The law and the prophets were until John. Something big happened with the ministry of John the Baptist. Amen. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Can you press into something that isn't there? Can you press into something that is still 2,000 years removed? Can you press into something that's only a spiritual concept? Or was there a real relationship to Jesus Christ, taking Him on as your Lord and your King, by baptism, that resulted in men pressing into His kingdom in the days of John the Baptist? Wonderful. Thank you, Lord. The patriarchs, the law, and the kingdom. The last earthly kingdom is now. Much more could be said about the kingdom. Much. And it has been said. And it will be said. I hope in the next couple of months, I can bring you several studies like this on Wednesday evening that will help back up what we're learning in Romans 9-11. through This is Hebrews 12. Paul is writing to Jews. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. How many kingdoms do you think there are going to be after this one if this one can't be moved? None. Because this is the final kingdom on earth. This is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. We are part of a kingdom now. The Apostle Paul recognized it, taught it, and taught it to Hebrews. Who are Hebrews? They're Jews. What nation did they belong to? Israel. Did he tell Israel and the Jews about some coming millennial kingdom for them that would keep them as Christians? He never offered them any such thing. Anywhere. He gave them this kingdom. And just six verses in front of this 28th verse is 1222 where it says, We are come unto Mount Zion and the city of the great king, the heavenly Jerusalem which is above. That is what Paul told Jews in order to persuade them not to go back to Moses' religion. He didn't offer them some future kingdom upon their obedience, but a present kingdom. Paul saw Christ's kingdom as already present. He prophesied that it would never be changed. That's the shaking of the heavens and the earth. 
What kingdom disappeared with the shakings of the heaven and the earth? The kingdom of Israel under the law of Moses. It disappeared. And what was left? The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. What else is dispensationalism? It's an approach to interpreting Bible prophecy. It's mainly a school of Bible prophecy. If you just want to be very simple, and I'm trying to make this simple so that it's not too tedious or overwhelming or intimidating. It's futuristic when it comes to Bible prophecy. They see all prophecies in the future. If they see a prophecy, there's got to be a future fulfillment of it. They don't really care about a historical fulfillment or a past one. They're premillennial, meaning Jesus and the Jews are going to be preeminent on earth again for a thousand years in the city of Jerusalem, where it stands in your atlas or on your Google Maps. Jesus is going to come back to earth, have an earthly throne, and he and the Jews will be the preeminent people on earth for a thousand years. This is yet to come after Jesus returns the second time. After he returns the second time, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation where the Antichrist causes havoc. Then Jesus Christ will return the third time, and there will be a millennium. There will still be wicked people on the earth, but they're not going to be very wicked during the millennium. And then Jesus will return the fourth time out of Jerusalem and destroy the wicked. And that's how their little scheme runs. That's what John Darby came up with and C.I. Schofield popularized. Israel, to them, is still distinct. The nation of Israel, the biological descendants of Abraham, are still distinct and God owes them a great deal. All the prophecies of the Old Testament that we cannot see fulfilled, physically, literally, earthly, will be fulfilled absolutely to them physically and earthly and visibly, in their opinion. That's a dispensationalist. What does the Bible say? The Bible says there is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, who is your theologian? The Apostle Paul or John Darby or C.I. Schofield? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is what we believe. We believe this simple testimony of Galatians chapter 3, that if we have believed in Jesus Christ, that's verse 26, if we have been baptized in Jesus Christ, that's verse 27, then verse 28 and 29 are true. There's no Jew or Greek. It's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ made up of both. And we are the true seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promises God made to him. What does the Bible say? not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. The Apostle Paul warned Titus not to give heed to Jewish fables. And so we look for Jewish fables and we admit that there must be some floating around and they must be a threat to Christians and so we look for them and we reject them. And dispensationalism is really a collection of Jewish fables because it's all about the Jews and Jerusalem and Israel on earth, biologically considered, earthly considered, nationally considered. And that turns from the truth that the Apostle Paul labored so diligently to convey in the New Testament. What else does the Bible say? Now remember... 
Dispensationalists are pre-tribulationary, meaning pre, before, tribulation, seven years of trouble. That Jesus will return before the seven years of trouble. Who causes the seven years of trouble? The Antichrist. So Jesus comes before the Antichrist. This is the simplest point in the whole Bible. The Bible teaches very plainly that Jesus Christ returns the second time after the Antichrist. Or, as the Bible describes him, the man of sin. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. There's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is the first verse of chapter 2. Now we beseech you, Paul is begging you, brethren, by the coming, what I just talked about, by that coming that I described of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, let no man deceive you by any means. There's going to be efforts of deception, as we've already seen from Titus chapter 2. For that day shall not come, what day? The day of Jesus Christ's return, except there come a falling away first, meaning that men would depart from the truth. They would fall away from apostolic doctrine and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Jesus has to come after the man of sin or their antichrist is revealed. He comes first, then Jesus comes. They're wrong. They're wrong. And the apostle warned us not to be deceived by their efforts to deceive us in this simple point. That's just what comes first. The falling away comes first. What comes next? The man of sin is revealed. What comes third? The Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven and he gathers us unto himself. It's the second coming of our Lord. What else does the Bible say? This is Nehemiah. I mentioned this on Sunday, but I just wanted to slip it in. Because the dispensationalists believe that God still owes Israel all the land in the Middle East. And so for a thousand years, they're going to dominate that piece of property over there in the Middle East. I don't know what they're going to do without agricultural subsidies from the United States, but they're going to try to make a go of it in that sand. Thou art the Lord, the God. This is Nehemiah, who didst choose Abram and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gavest him the name of Abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee and madest a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites. And then it goes on and describes the other six nations that were there in Canaan, and I've pulled their names out so as not to overwhelm you with words. To give it, I say, to his seed. Thou art the Lord God, and you made a covenant with Abraham to give him the land of the Canaanites and to give it to his seed, and hast performed thy words For thou art righteous. Nehemiah declares here that whatever way we are to understand the promise of the land in an earthly sense, God fulfilled it because God is righteous and God keeps his promises. Now we know that Abraham knew the real fulfillment was in heaven. What does the Bible say? Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. I read this to you on Sunday, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. That is the same Jesus Christ that said in John 8, 44, Ye are of your father the devil. 
Where did they come from, these dispensationalists? There's John Darby, 1800 to 1882 from Ireland. He started, the Plymouth Brethren joined them and became one of their main speakers. He's considered the father of dispies. That's their name for themselves, so they don't have to write out dispensationalists. Dispies. There's John Darby. He wrote his own translation of the Bible, and he's the one that got this started. He got the the ideas, and he put them together into his system of prophetic interpretation. Here's C.I. Schofield. You'll notice that he was born just a little later. They, they were contemporaries of each other for a while. He was born in Michigan, Lenawee County. Became a Presbyterian. He wrote a Schofield reference Bible that many of us grew up with and considered a pretty important Bible to have. And he popularized the Dispies by being a popular prophetic speaker at various prophecy seminars around the world. What about today? Who's a dispensationalist today? Hal Lindsey. He's getting pretty old, though. He wrote The Late Great Planet Earth about 1970. Tim LaHaye and his Left Behind Books and Movies. Dallas Theological Seminary is the stronghold for it. And Bob Jones University, right in our city, keep going the dispensational idea of seven dispensations of God's dealings with men and the prophetic ideas that I have very briefly outlined to you. What's their most important passage? Dispensationally, this is the most important passage in the New Testament. It gives the divine purpose for this age and for the beginning of the next. That is the Schofield Reference Bible at Acts 15.13. Dispensationally, this is the most important passage in the New Testament. So, let's take on their Goliath. Let's be like David, and we have a few stones in our shepherd's scrip, and we approach the giant. This is their most important passage. I didn't put these words into their mouths. This is what C.I. Schofield wrote in his Bible. What is Acts 15 about? Does everyone here already know this, so I can skip a couple slides? What's Acts 15 about? It's the council at Jerusalem. It was called by Paul after Pharisees came from Jerusalem and bothered the church at Antioch that had Gentile converts, that they needed to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised in order to be saved. Well, he, when he heard that, he traveled a couple hundred miles from Antioch of Syria to Jerusalem to settle the matter of what of Moses' law Gentiles had to keep. So all the apostles, the elders, came together in the city of Jerusalem for the only Bible council that we read of, and they were all there. It was huge and it was important. There was nothing about the Jews that was taken up at that matter at that particular council, even in a present tense sense of the Jews, or a future tense, it had one purpose, and that was to define authoritatively by inspired apostles what parts of Moses' law the Gentiles had to keep. The council concluded with a message that was carried by Paul and Silas to the churches of Gentiles. Peter began by telling about his Gentile converts. Could I have a name? Cornelius. Paul and Barnabas told of their first preaching trip throughout Asia Minor and of all God's blessings upon the Gentiles. James, the pillar and head of the church at Jerusalem, explained the Gentile miracle by Amos 9 under inspiration of God. The session was by the inspiration of the Spirit because James tells us that by Luke's writing in Acts chapter 15. 
And they concluded with encouragement to Gentiles because it was all about Gentiles. What did James say? We're now in the middle of the council at Jerusalem. And after they had held their peace, Peter spoke first, and then Paul and Barnabas. The plural pronouns above are Paul and Barnabas. They spoke just before James, and after they had held their peace. Those plural pronouns, they were referring to Paul and Barnabas. James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. He is going to give the authoritative conclusion to this council. He is going to call it a sentence. He is going to issue the sentence like a judge would. That's what he calls it in verse 19. James was a pillar at Jerusalem and led the council. He'll give the concluding sentence in verse 19. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. We, we are in the most important church council ever held in the New Testament. And we have inspired record of what was said there. Enjoy this. I love this passage. I wish I could help you love it as much. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Simeon is Simon Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter told of the first Gentile converts, Cornelius. You understand that? At the first. The first Gentile converts, and he had to answer to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11 after their conversion in Acts chapter 10. Okay, we go to the next verse. And to this agree the words of the prophets. And to this agree. To this agree. What is this? Now we just had this verse. You know, James is just getting started. James answered them saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. And to this agree. What is this? Amen, brother. The testimony of Gentile conversions. And to this agree. Simeon at first, Simeon has showed us how the Lord at the first converted the Gentiles, referring to Cornelius. And to this agree. James specifically identified Gentile conversions, and he connects them by agreement to a prophecy. The words of the prophets, as it is written. This is inspired interpretation of an event and application of an Old Testament prophecy. He connected them by agreement to Amos 9, 11 through 12. This wasn't from study. This was from inspiration by the God of heaven who had inspired Amos to write this hundreds of years earlier. Amos 9, 11 through 12 was fulfilled by Gentile conversions. The event of Amos and James was then Gentiles. Not some future event but an event that was taking place right then so that James could explain what God was doing through 1 Peter, then Paul and Barnabas. Next verse. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up. After what? After this, I will return. After what? 
the Council at Jerusalem, the formation of Israel in 1948, Antichrist defiles the third Jewish temple that is not spoken of anywhere in the Bible. After this, after what? After what? The words are those of Amos, not of James. James is still quoting Amos. After this I will return are the words of Amos. The words are future tense to Amos, not to James. James has already said that Amos 9, 11 through 12 was then. It's just that Amos was looking forward to this event, having described the scattering of Israel. After this, I will return and do something good to Israel, and I will add Gentiles to them, and I will build up the kingdom of David, which is what James has explained it to be. It's Gentile conversions being the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David. Prophetic perspective. Let me remind you of this simple fact. This is Acts 2. The apostles, many of them fishermen from the Sea of Galilee, are speaking in other tongues and speaking perfectly in other languages on the day of Pentecost. And Peter explains it this way. This is that which was spoken with the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. I will pour out of my spirit. It shall come to pass. I will pour out. It shall come to pass. I will pour out. What is this here? But this is that. What is the this? It was Pentecost tongues. What about the future tense verbs, shall and will? Look at them. They're highlighted on your slide. What about those future tense verbs? Peter said the, Peter used the future tense. They were future only to Joel, not to Peter, because Peter was quoting Joel. Because charismatics do not like to study doctrine, they end up using this passage to justify Benny Hinn and the rest of their charlatan healers. Because they won't read the passage and understand that there's a prophetic perspective. It was only in the future tense to Joel. And Peter, quoting it accurately, used the future tense because to Joel, the day of Pentecost was future. You say, we all know that. Most of the world doesn't know that. And they don't know it in Acts 15 either. Here's another one, Hebrews 8. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come. That's in the future. The days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And here we go if we're dispensationalists. Oh boy. Here's a, here, God's going to make a new covenant with Israel. When will Israel get a new covenant? They already had. Jesus said at the Last Supper, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The future tense was only to Jeremiah. Not to Paul. Paul studied the covenant present in this chapter because in verse 13 he said, now that we have a new covenant, the old covenant is old and ready to vanish away. What did James say? Let's go back. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David is his kingdom and reign. It's another word for house, palace, reign, kingdom, authority. Here, tabernacle. 
Sometimes house, temple, crown. God promised to build it again, and James told how. God promised in the in this passage from Amos, and James explained how by the conversion of Gentiles. The greatest glory of his kingdom is under Christ. David's kingdom, Mount Zion, Jerusalem, all of it sees its greatest fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ reigning over heaven and earth from the right hand of God. Far more elevated than David or Solomon ever had it on earth. And that was the best national Israel ever got, was under David and Solomon. Which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. With the scattering of the Jews, the kingdom ended. The Jewish kingdom, the national kingdom, the earthly kingdom. But God rebuilt it, both nationally and spiritually, the spiritual one under the son of David being far greater. I don't have time to remind you of Haggai chapter 2, where they were desperate looking at the small strings on the ground for the foundation of the second temple. And the Lord said, don't worry about its size and don't worry that you don't have any silver and gold. The second house will have greater glory than the former house because the desire of all nations will come to the second house. Who built the second house? Zerubbabel. Did Jesus Christ visit that temple? Yes, 2,000 years ago. He called it my father's house for three and a half years. And when he left it the last time, he said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. What What else did James say? He's still quoting Amos. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Here, Amos described the conversion of Gentiles. He said so. The residue of men. Residue is the remainder. Or the rest of humanity. Outside of the Jews. These elect from the nations are God's children. That's why they have God's name called upon them. Saith the Lord who doeth all these things. God made this prophecy and we should believe it. The Spirit inspired James to apply it to Gentiles. It is God's work. It's the mystery of godliness. Remember, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed unto the world, received up into glory. God does all these things. He brings in Gentiles which had never been heard of. That a new kingdom was going to be made under David, called David's kingdom, David's house. But it would be made up of Gentiles and Jews. Known unto God, this is the last part of Acts chapter 15. These are the last words of James before he gives his sentence of what should be said to converted Gentiles. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Gentile conversions are the work of God. Gentile joining Jews in Christ are Christ's kingdom. This was God's plan from eternity. And the Apostle Paul describes it that way in Ephesians chapter 3 when he said, God gave me knowledge of a mystery that had been kept secret since the beginning of the world. And it's this right here. What did Schofield say? Dispensationally, this is the most important passage in the New Testament. It gives the divine purpose for this age and for the beginning of the next. Where did it mention the next? Well, let's see if he'll help us. It does not teach dispensationalism, which are nothing but Jewish fables. It is the gospel kingdom of Gentiles under Christ. Amen. What did Schofield say? Okay, after this quote, there at the top, in italics, 
Dispensationally, this is the most important passage. Here's what comes next. Point one. The taking out from among the Gentiles of a people for His name, the distinctive work of the present or church age. We can agree with this first point. Yep. Acts 15 verses 13 through 19 is God taking out among the Gentiles a people for His name, the distinctive work of the present or church age. We can agree with that. Paul said this mystery had been hid in other ages, but was now being made known. Okay, what does he say next? After this, after this, meaning the outcalling, I will return. James quotes from Amos 9, 11 through 12. Those are Schofield's words. After this, he's focusing on the words after this, meaning after the outcalling of the Gentiles, I will return. <laughs> oh, slick. No, the after this are Amos's words about the scattering of Israel, and after their scattering, he would return and build up their fallen, ruined nation with the Lord Jesus Christ and the conversion of Gentiles and make it greater than it ever had been. Right. Schofield makes David's kingdom after the Gentiles. He is wrong. The calling of Gentiles was after this. Because the words after, I've already been through that slide about 30 ago. The words after this are Amos's words about when he would call the Gentiles. James applied the passage directly to the Gentiles. Number three. Now, what he did here is he took the words after this, applied them to James, and brought in an entirely new thing. And that is a new Jewish kingdom after making David's tabernacle of Gentiles. And we'll build again the tabernacle of David, i.e. reestablish the Davidic rule over Israel. Here he is preaching his millennium out of Acts 15, but it's not there. Acts 15 is the conversion of the Gentiles. We can agree if Israel is the gospel kingdom. Dispies have no clue of David, Christ, kingdom, temple, Jerusalem, or land. They are all hung up in the Old Testament, having swallowed Jewish fables, so that they think earthly, naturally, nationally, physically, visibly, instead of spiritually, eternally, prophetically, according to Christ's kingdom. Number four, the point he makes, that the residue of men, and he sticks a word in to help you know what the residue of men are, that the residue of men, Israelites, may seek after the Lord. Israelites is not in the text. But he sticks it in to help you. To help you completely misunderstand it. Because the residue of men is the remainder outside of Israel. Schofield changed the residue of men to Israelites. Acts 15 is not about the Jews. It's about the Gentiles. The issue to Amos and James was Gentiles. Not Jews. Was James right? He was inspired of God to make the application. Luke was inspired to record the council events so that we have the words and the proceedings. God gave the prophecy in its right application to James. Schofield applied it twice. Future, by corrupting the words after this, which were Amos' words, identifying that the calling of the Gentiles would come after God's judgment upon Israel. And then he applied it to the Jews instead of the Gentiles by calling the 
remainder of men, Israelites. Schofield's system is nothing but Jewish fables. We've had a man come in here and say this is the most important passage to dispensationalism and then alter, misunderstand and corrupt two different aspects of it. The words after this by sticking some other thing that was not even considered the Council of Jerusalem into the future and by saying that it had to deal with Israelites rather than Gentiles. James was right. We always go with the Bible. We don't care what any man or all men might say. We're going to stick with Holy Scripture. What does the Bible say? The Gentiles were called after the Jews were destroyed. Isn't that what I read to you in Matthew 22 on Sunday? The first seven verses, he invited the Jews to the marriage of his son, and they made light of it, so he miserably destroyed those men and burned up their city. Then he offered it to the Gentiles. And that is what Amos meant by after this. Amos prophesies in the first Ten verses of Amos chapter 9 of the scattering of Israel and then the calling of Gentiles. Gabriel told Mary Jesus would get David's throne. I read that to you tonight. That's David's tabernacle. That's David's kingdom. Gabriel told Mary that. The only Jerusalem that counts is in heaven. We saw that on Sunday in Galatians chapter 4. The temple on earth that counts is the church. It's called the temple of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. The habitation of God through the Spirit. It's been built up by Gentiles. This is the temple of God. This is part of David's kingdom. Jesus Christ rules over us. He is our head. He is our bishop. He is the shepherd of this church. The apostle, the high priest, and it's king. What does the Bible say? Jesus said some standing with him would see his kingdom come in power. There be some standing here that shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God come with power. The conversion of the Gentiles, the granting of the Spirit at Pentecost, the destruction of Jerusalem, the expansion throughout the world, incontrovertibly great events, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. We have received the final kingdom as I showed you from Hebrews 12. Paul wrote the Hebrews, which are Jews, which are Israelites, not about a future kingdom, but about a present one. Jesus is the root of David, Revelation chapter 5, and has the key of David, Revelation 3, 7. What else do you need to hear? What else does the Bible say? It says the man of sin comes before Jesus Christ. C.I. Schofield, John Darby, and the rest of the Dispies are wrong. It does not say a thing about a seven-year tribulation. They make that up entirely from what they call the missing last week of Daniel's prophecy of Daniel 9, the 70 weeks of Daniel. If this is the Dispy, most important passage, then the Bible condemns them as heretics. Because that passage does not teach at all a future millennial kingdom of Jesus personally reigning in Jerusalem on earth with a rebuilt temple and animal sacrifices and the Jews having preeminence over the Gentiles. Acts chapter 15, their most important passage teaches that the conversion of Gentiles is how God purposed to rebuild the tabernacle of David by bringing Jews and Gentiles together into one body. Most of them would be Gentiles. And we are now in the time of the Gentiles. And we will be until the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ when He comes the second time. I'm sorry if dispensationalism sounds overwhelming or intimidating. It shouldn't be. The word simply means different dealings with men at different times. It really is just a school of Bible prophecy 
and prophetic interpretation, and it's what's commonly taught in the churches of Greenville. It's what many of us were taught when we were younger and before we were fully converted. But God has been merciful to us and has shown us the truth. And Acts 15 should be very special to you. You are part of the kingdom of David, David's son, reigning on David's throne. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the root of David. He is far above all principalities and powers. And the kingdom right now is greater in dimensions and measurements of any kind. Truth, priesthood, covenant, blessings, anything by any measure far superior to any time under David or Solomon, and you have been made part of it because God called you into it. And you are called by God's name, by the name of His Son, and we are most blessed. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Be not deceived by any means. I want you to understand Romans 9 through 11. I'm not just going to come go through Romans 9 and talk about election, predestination, and He's the potter and we're the clay. We're going to understand all that we're supposed to know from Romans 9, 10, 11. Amen. Lord, if you want to pray for your pastor, pray for some words that come out of my throat with great pain and fear that I will not misdivide any passage of Scripture, but I will rightly divide each one of them. Right. And we will have the Lord's Supper. And we will take up a cup and say this cup is the New Testament. The New Testament or one of the Gospels, New Covenant. New Covenant. In my blood. Is it better than anything David and Solomon ever had? Amen. Is it more glorious? Does it wash sins away forever? Right. And Solomon, though he sacrificed 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep, how many sins did that offering put away? Zero. Not a single one. Yes. Is C.I. Schofield, was C.I. Schofield a better man than me? Probably. Was John Darby a better man than me? Probably. Are many dispensationalists better men and women than you? Maybe. Does that matter? Lord, help us to be better. Amen. But what matters is the truth of His Word. Amen. And though we be nothing in His sight, we're happy to be babes. Stand with me. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, yeah. for hiding these things from the wise and prudent. And revealing them unto babes. Amen. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. Yes. Amen. Thank you, O Lord, for showing us some of these things. They're so simple. We wonder, how could anyone miss them? What are we missing? So we would think that they should see them. But, O Lord, it's because it is all plain to him that understandeth. Right. And you have given us understanding as a great gift. And we thank and bless your holy name for it. Amen. Amen. Forgive us our sins of slothfulness, neglect, and help us to love the king of this kingdom. Yes. And help us to be thankful for the salvation that brought us into it. And let us be thankful for God knowing all these works before the foundation of the world. And Father, bring them to pass in our very own lives. Mm -hmm. Help this church to be established in the truth and never to be moved away from it. And let our young people recall these things and never be moved either. Yes. Our trust is in Thee. We thank Thee for the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ the great shepherd of the sheep, who through the blood of the everlasting covenant has redeemed us unto thee. We look forward to sitting at his table this coming Lord's day and at his supper, remembering that new covenant that has forever put away all our sins once 
for all. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray, thanking and blessing thee, Holy Father, and asking thee to keep us in the way of truth and to rightly divide the word of truth that we not err in thy scriptures. Mm -hmm. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law, and we shall bless and praise thee. Amen. 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 You are dismissed.